And I want to thank you for joining me today again. My name is Jeremy Torgerson. I'm the CEO and Senior Investment Advisor at um, Invest Advisors, LLC. We are a Texas-based uh, investment advisory firm. We are a fee-only firm, and we are happy to have you join us on the Money in 30 podcast. This is episode number four. Uh, we're going to be talking today about college savings plans, and uh, we hope that you will uh, be giving us uh, some good feedback as you take a look at and take a listen today. Uh, our website is www.nvestadvisors.com. You can locate us all, all over social media if you like what you hear and you want to follow us. We do a lot of not just original uh, programming, but we do a, I, I, we post a lot of uh, great links to other financial blogs. We live in a great time where there's tons and tons of ways to get yourself educated about money matters. The problem is many of us don't take the time to do that, but the Internet is full, just wonderfully full of great, smart financial writers who are putting out a lot of quality work, and we want to support them um, in the best way we can, and that the best way we can do it is to direct you to their sites. So we be careful. we're careful on making sure that we don't direct you to somebody who might have a, an investment philosophy that we don't agree with or that is really uh, kind of out there looking for uh, investment business, but there are a lot of people who are uh, just bloggers, C you know, they're CPAs or or uh, financial advisors, but they're not really looking for a nationwide audience in terms of client base. Um, they just want to put out some great information, so we want to make sure we share that with you. So check us out. We're on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, oh my goodness, Google+, there's a bunch of them out there that um, you, can, you can find us at. You can also always, always check our website out, investadvisors.com, where you can subscribe to our podcasts at iTunes. So that we're now also putting them on our uh, YouTube channel, so you can listen to them there. Um, you can also subscribe to our monthly client newsletter. Um, we do a lot to try to educate clients ourselves and the, the gen basically the general public about investing. And that goes back to the kind of lifestyle that I had uh, not only growing up, but as a young uh, adult and a young family man. Um, I grew up um, in middle class, very humble beginnings. Uh, both of my parents were hardworking, uh, played by the rules, paid their taxes. Um, I never really mastered money. Both of my sets, of, both sets of my grandparents were entrepreneurs. They owned and operated small businesses for most of um, their working lives, and it was uh, so. I learned a lot watching the the adults in my life uh, influence me in a way that that inspired a good work ethic and a strong desire to be self-employed. I've always felt that. Um, what what I learned though, watching the people I love go through their lives and, and eventually retire is that, that even though you can play all by all the rules, and unless you take the, the extra effort to educate yourself about money, you're not going to become financially independent. It's not going to happen on its own. And the, the programs that you might assume are going to be there to take care of you, uh, Social Security or a company pension, especially company pensions, just don't exist anymore unless you're in some sort of a, uh, usually a public sector job of some sort, school teacher or a municipal employee of some sort. Um, so when I was a small business owner in uh, the late 90s to the early 2000s, um, we, we owned and operated, my wife and I, two restaurants um, and a very large independent video store in northern Colorado. And we, we had our CPA, we had our bookkeeper, and we'd pay our taxes, and we would go through that routine every I think we were paying quarterly. I can't remember, um, but we would and you do your payroll taxes once every two weeks, etc. And um, we were sometimes writing checks to the IRS that were higher than the income we brought home. 
And we thought that doesn't make any sense. I mean, how do you how do you not how how do you pay the government more to be in business than you the owner finally takes home? If you've been a small business owner, you may know what, what we're talking about. Um, and and uh, anyway, I started to educate myself on financial matters because I wasn't getting help from the people that we were paying to help us, our CPA and our our, our bookkeeper. Um, I didn't really think about. Working with a financial advisor because maybe like many of you, I, I I thought, well, we don't have millions in the bank and we don't, you know, we're not wealthy and they they probably wouldn't want to talk to us anyway. And I would also feel probably pressured or intimidated to somehow find five hundred dollars or a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars a month. It was just ridiculous. We weren't going to be able to do that um, to put away. So I think sometimes people stay away. I used to joke with my clients that I said, I'm like the dentist. You guys don't I know none of you want to be in the office here unless you have to. But I think it's more for the general public out there, if you are avoiding talking with a financial advisor, it's just that you need to find the right one. Um, but when he, anyway, I went through the education process um, for myself as a small business owner, and I thought, dang, no one's told me about a 401k or a SEP IRA or or you know anything like that. That would have that would have we could have set money aside and and put it away for our business. You know, instead of just reinvesting it in the business or paying the IRS with it, we could have been doing some uh, something better for our, our family long term. And I think we thought of the business as our retirement plan instead of using the business to fund a retirement plan. And I'll get into that in another podcast. Um, but anyway, as I began to do my own investigating, and I realized, man, this there's so many business owners just like me who, who work so hard. I mean, I, I, I didn't take a single day off for the first year. I think in seven years, our family took a four-day vacation once. That was it. Well, we worked really, really hard to be in business. I think there's an old saying that a business owner works 13 hours a day for himself so that he doesn't have to work eight hours a day for someone else. So the trade-off is we think we're in business for ourselves for the freedom of it, but the business can own you in a way that your job never can. So um, anyway, as I began to uh, research this and realize that most business owners are going to be in the same boat, so there was a huge market for me to be able to uh, help small small mom and pop businesses that are fighting to survive, um, that want to do it all by the books and want to pay their taxes correctly and not try to hide cash under the table and all the things that small businesses try to do to avoid that burdensome taxation. Um, there are there are great legal awesome ways to just to, to properly run your business. You just need to be taught. And so I, uh, that was my professional, I made the decision to change professions and become a financial advisor focused on working class people, not the super wealthy. They have lots of people that want to help them. Nobody really wanted to help guys like me. So I wanted to put together a company that was focused on people like my family, just average working class 2,000 square foot home when we were running our businesses. Um, you know, we ate a lot of Kraft macaroni and cheese while our businesses were, were growing. That kind, of, that kind of family. Families who know what it is to, um, to budget and to tell your kids, we can't do that thing because money is tight. We grew up that way. And um, even though we've I've, I've prospered and my wife has prospered in her, her profession as well, um, and things have changed for us, um, those early years were formative. And it was important for me to remember that there's so many other families like that. So Invest Advisors, was, we're all about education, and we hope that we can be a resource for you, even if you never become a client. 
And we put out lots and lots of information that, that hopefully will be helpful to you. And I always hope that even if you never do business with us, that you always consider us a friend and an ally and a resource as you, as you struggle toward, I hope you're struggling toward financial independence instead of hopefully not sliding backwards into a lot of debt, okay? Um, speaking of debt, this is one of the, the big uh, topics that will, anybody who's about 45 or 50 years of age or younger who went to college can tell you about how student loan debt can be burdensome for decades, almost your entire working life. I have a lot of school teacher clients um, based on where we, we are down here near the Rio Grande Valley in Texas. Um, I'm a shameless plug. Please come and, and enjoy a vacation at South Padre Island, Texas. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. You, won't, you, and you just wouldn't possibly go wrong to enjoy South Padre. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a heaven on earth as far as I'm concerned. Um, but when, when you're down here and I work with so many school teachers, it is amazing to me to see how many people, as they're getting ready for retirement, and teachers retire, you know, fairly about a decade younger than most people in the working, the working world, um, but or at least they're eligible for it. But uh, it's fascinating to me to see how these these uh, professionals, master's degrees, a lot of them, that are five years away from retirement, so like late 40s, early 50s, and they still have student loan debt that they're still paying off. Now, some, some programs now exist where after 10 years in the profession, the state will, will pay for those. But if you didn't, there, you have to qualify for those programs. So I'm, here I am looking at people who went back to school and have advanced degrees because it was the way to help increase their pay and broaden their scope of knowledge and, and, uh, and deepen their professionalism. Um, and they, they, they are paying student loans literally from the day they get out of college all the way to the day they retire to get that done. That shocks me. So the, it's college, I'm sure there are a lot of you out there sitting there right now with, with tons and tons of college debt, wondering how am I going to, how can I help my kids avoid this mess if possible? So that's what today's podcast is about. And I'm going to give you just a basic look at the difference, the different kinds of ways to save for college. And then we're going to make sure I put up some, uh, some links to get you some actual literature. And that'll be found if you're watching this or listening to this on YouTube. I'll make sure it's in the link below. We'll also make sure that it's, uh, it's listed on the podcast information. So you have it. Um, you can also find any of this information at our a totally free 24-hour-a-day financial education website called Invest Academy. And you can go to investacademy.com and you will find... Um, uh, calculators and articles and little mini seminars and all sorts of things free of charge no obligation you don't have to sign up for anything and you can uh, use that website to your heart's content that's nvestacademy.com um, anyway so let's talk about college savings plans today in this particular uh, workshop this uh, podcast rather by the way, before I do that, let me also ask you guys a favor. For those of you who are listening to the podcast, I'm new at this. I'm not new at performance. Uh, I have a, a, a background in theater arts, but I do have, um, we're new to this podcasting thing. Some people would say I have the face for radio. <laughs> I'm not sure yet I got the voice for it, but I do uh, want to make sure that if you, what we, what we really hope is that we put out quality. It's important to me, even if, if I'd rather put out one podcast a month or every two months, if it was really good. We're going to try for every two weeks on certain subjects, but I'd love to hear some feedback from you. Shoot me an email, would you? Or let me know uh, in the comment section on YouTube 
what you thought of this podcast and give us some ideas of the kinds of financial topics that you'd love to hear more of as we go forward. This is all about you. We could spend our afternoon doing anything else, but we decide let's put out uh, some information in a way that I hope is approachable and friendly and sometimes fun to listen to um, that will give you, you walk away, I hope, 30 minutes later, uh, more informed than when you when you showed up. So that's our hope anyway. So today on college savings plans, I want to talk to you very briefly, and then I want to give you some questions you should ask yourself um, about uh, your situation so that you have a better understanding of which road to take if you're going to save for college. Now, before I do that, though, I need to tell every single one of you, it's so important, and I have to tell clients this all the time, because it seems very interesting when you are you know married or a single parent and you have kids, and you need to plan for retirement, which is what I'm mostly doing with when I sit with clients and, and develop plans for them. But it's almost, almost universal that you will be more concerned about saving for college than you will be uh, saving for retirement. And I got to tell you that as my professional um, obligation to you as a listener is this, to tell you this. I understand the need and the desire to help our kids. I have two also, okay? But at the worst case, there you will be able to borrow your way through school. There are scholarships. There are grants. Students can work part-time. They can do things like that. They can get themselves, themselves through school. And if they have to finish it, uh, that cost with some student loans, so be it. Okay, you can always borrow your way through school at an, in a worst case scenario. You cannot borrow your way through retirement. You have to have the retirement part saved or you or and figured out and and on track or you will never retire. I mean I, I don't mean to be a doom and gloom guy, but that's the truth of it. You either you get retirement right or you serve uh, at McDonald's and you're 70 years old or you're greeting at Walmart and you're 70 years old, you get retirement right. Don't worry about college first. College can take care of itself, worst case. Okay? Now that also said, I, there's one other thing I want parents to forgive themselves for. So when I say that and you go, okay, we'll put for retirement, now we have much less, so we're going to save for college. Guys, forgive yourself if you can't get to a full you know, I'm going to fully fund my kid's college or I'm going to whatever. There's lots of programs out there if the students are industrious, really work hard on scholarships. Um, there's lots of, of additional sources of money. Don't feel beat up if you're only able to save enough for 25% of that college. Your student will thank you so much for any effort that you can put out. So just remember that. Don't feel bad if you can't save a ton, and do not put college savings before retirement savings. That's my little soapbox lecture for today, and now we're going to move on to the meat of this, okay? So now there are, there are two basic types of college savings plans available, so get that in your mind. We have two things we're going to talk about, and then I'm going to give you kind of, it's not a cheat, but it's a third alternative, um, kind of a workaround solution for some of the, the, the drawbacks of these college savings plans. Um, in, the, in a broad sense, the two plans are this. Either you prepay tuition credit in a, uh, tuition credits in a university system, okay, it's called, usually called a prepaid tuition credit program, or you build a lump sum of money. So you have the two programs. Either I'm going to literally buy college credits at today's prices, 
or we're going to just save a pile of money and use it for college expenses. So now what are the, the, the benefits or, or, or disadvantages of these two programs? Let's start with the prepaid tuition program, okay? If you know for sure that, you know, and in Texas this is very common where I hear, well, I was an Aggie and my dad was an Aggie and by God my kids are going to be Aggies. So if you know the school system that you want to have your kids go to, um, and, and that sort of thing figured out, then you will buy, then, then you, you might consider buying tuition credits, okay, which you're just putting money away. You're basically paying the school now for college that will be used in years to come, okay? Um, there are some benefits to this, I guess. Um, I mean, there are benefits, but when I ever put a question to parents, um, do you want to lock the kid into a school system? Or what if your kid gets a chance to go to Juilliard, you know, or something like that? Would you rather have a lump sum? Almost all parents say, I'd rather have the lump sum. But let me give you kind of an impartial look at uh, the prepaid tuition credit and where those may be best, best uh, um, used, okay? Um, college tuition inflates in price about 9% a year nationwide. That's a huge thing. That means college tuition is doubling in cost about every eight years. So if you are going to have a, a uh, if you're, let me say this, if your child is maybe under the age of 10, or maybe even younger than that, the younger the better, the prepaid tuition credits may be the most bang for your buck in terms of college savings. And the reason for that is that if I were to try to tell you that you could get an investment that is going to earn 9% for the very short amount of time, that your child is um, is gonna before the child needs the money. You, there's not very many things that we can rely on that are not extremely risky that have a nine percent return uh, annually. So if your child is like two or something, three, four years old, you may have the best option to really get the most impact for that child, for that college money for that child, in a prepaid tuition program. Okay, so that's one thing to consider. So, the, you know, if you have a lot of years left, prepaid tuition credit is probably going to get you further. I hope that makes some sense. Now, there, every state has got one or more prepaid tuition uh, accounts that are set up. There are specific programs. You can't just go to the university and do it. There are, um, they're not nonprofit, but they're, they're um, usually government entity type of of investment accounts that are set up in a general fund that buying tuition credits um, you get an account statement um, and that's pretty much it on the, the college tuition program so things to think about again on that particular program are do I want to limit my child to a specific state or a specific school those are and also do we have a lot of years left if we do that one may be the most um, the most beneficial. There's very few investments that can give almost a guaranteed nine percent return on your money per year, and this particular program, the prepaid college tuition credits, will. So lots of growth in terms of just because it covers inflation, uh, not so many great options for the student. Okay. Now let's talk about if instead the student you'd rather have flexibility, and that when I ever I ask that question, like I said, your almost every client will tell me that they would much rather have their student have choices than have it decided for them. So that option is a 529 plan that is a lump sum savings program. 
you can just build a pool of cash. Some benefits to this versus the other one are that it doesn't, the money does not have to go specifically to tuition. It can be, let's say the student gets a partial or, or full ride tuition scholarship. There's still books and room and board and a computer and all the things and, and heaven knows what, what we'll, we'll have up in uh, uh, the, uh, the future. In 20 years from now, we might have, uh, who knows, virtual reality <laughs> or something. Maybe they just download the class right in the kid's head. Who knows? But in, in the, in the, in the, but the, the lump sum allows for any legitimate and any, any recognized school expense in college uh, can be, uh, can be, that money can be used for. So the difference, now let's, the, the lump sum program, uh, there's not really a maximum per year that can be put in other than you may bump up against some gifting uh, tax uh, limitations from the IRS. So check with your, your tax preparer about that. The, uh, there are, in most states, a maximum amount of money that can be put into a 529 saving, lump sum savings program so that these don't become illegitimate tax shelters for huge amounts of money. But for most of the states, that amount is substantially above what it would take for you to go to a four years or six years or even eight years at some of the in-state universities. For example, in the state of uh, Texas, I'm just looking at that. The maximum amount per per beneficiary in an IR in a uh, 529 account rather is 370,000. Uh, I think you can cover four years at the University of Texas with 370,000. So there there are some you bump up against some ceilings way way up there just to make sure that the super wealthy are not using these accounts as a form of tax shelter instead of the purpose that they were intended. Okay, so the lump sum savings program basically works like this. Your child is a beneficiary. And by the way, this is true of the prepaid tuition credit too. The child, uh, children do not own the account. The children are the beneficiaries on the account. The account is owned by the adult. Okay, that's something to keep in mind and I'll come back to that in just a second. But in the 529 plan, the, um, the, the money can be, it's always after tax money that's going into the program. Just like an IRA account, it will grow tax-free while the money is growing. And if it is used for what's called a qualified expense in retire I'm sorry, in college, I keep, as you can see, I deal with retirement much more than college. Um, in college, the money in most states comes out tax-free. Okay? Um, some states actually do charge a state income tax on the growth portion of it. Most don't, but some do. And all of them are federally income tax-free. So you have to check with your individual state. And by the way, that's one of the important reasons why you want to make sure that if your state, and every state does offer a 529 program, either a prepaid tuition or lump sum savings, at least one of each. If you live in a state that has a state income tax, it is probably to your benefit to use the programs approved for your state because you're usually given a tax incentive to put money in. Okay. Now, all of these programs, the money going into them, these are how they're going to be similar now, are going to be um, after federal tax dollars. Okay. Some states will, if you have a state that has a state income tax, you, it may also be after tax, after the state taxes that income also. So in, some, in most states, it will be, um, you get the state, the state income tax deducted to put money into their state's program but all of them are federal are after federal tax so all money going in 
if I can say, English is actually my first language, but I'm having difficulty with it today. All money going into these accounts are after federal tax. Some states will give you a state income tax deduction to put the money in. There, I said it. Yay. And I just smacked my microphone while I'm talking. <laughs> I'm not going to re-record this, guys. I'm just going to get this done and put it out. Every two weeks, we'll, we'll keep getting better. We'll make this thing prettier as we go. So those two, th that's important to remember. Now, uh, some other states will also tax on the state side the growth. Most don't as, you, as it comes out for college. Okay. Now, some people may ask, well, what happens if we put this money into the account and the student doesn't go to school or doesn't need the money? Okay, a very good question. Because the child is the beneficiary on the account and not the owner, you can always change the beneficiary. So that's one benefit. So if the child, like my son Joshua, got a full-ride scholarship, um, he didn't need any 529 money. So in a situation like his, we were able, we, you, you could take him off of a 529 account and put, in this case, my daughter would be put on it. She might have two accounts, or you can consolidate, and then you could do that. Um, or you could save it for yourself and go back for a master's degree, however you want to do that. Now, many people ask, well, what if the money doesn't end up being used for uh, a college purpose at all, and we have this account that we're not going to use? And that's one of the drawbacks to using a 529 is it's not uh, flexible in terms of its use. It is intended for school. Okay, the other thing, and I'll give you my option, my my kind of my sneak option, in just a second. That'll be the end of this podcast. But the other thing to, because a child is the beneficiary and an adult is the owner of the account, one other thing to keep in mind is, who owns the account may still affect the child's ability later to qualify for financial aid. So one of the things that I want to make sure that you that you get in your head is a couple questions uh, regarding these accounts. Number one. Who do we want to keep the child in a state system or do we want to give them a lump sum? That's question number one. Question number two is who should own the account? Now, when your child gets ready for college and they go, they write the financial aid applications up, financial aid will always look at the child's resources in the child's name that the child owns. So including the child's income if they're part-time working or working somewhere and any assets that the student may have. Then they will look at the parents' information and they will figure out that the parents should be contributing X amount of the parents' income toward college and then anything above that may qualify the child for financial aid. If the parent owns the 529, that amount will be included against the child's eligibility for 529, for financial aid. So what you want to do is to, and what I recommend is kind of a, that's like a life hack in this situation, is to put a parent, grandparent, aunt or uncle as the owner of the 529 instead of the parent. And that will help keep the 529 contribution um, uh, not uh, computed and not held against the student when they're computing financial aid. Okay? So that's one quick uh, a little bit of a snippet. Now the great question is again, like we were just saying, what happens if the money doesn't get used for school? Great question. And the problem is that it, because this account was intended for a school purpose, taking the money out, yes, you can withdraw the money. The IRS will consider that kind of like they do an early withdrawal from an IRA. After tax, because the money went in after tax, that will not be taxed again. So the principal 
that was in the 529 account will come back out without any state, I'm sorry, federal income tax. Your state may penalize it. So just be careful. Each individual state may. Also, if it was not used for an academic purpose, specifically college, uh, universities, post-secondary, you uh, will be subject the growth to income tax plus a 10% penalty for taking it out. Okay, so people sometimes ask, well, what if uh, that that really kind of paints us in a corner? You know, what if the student doesn't use it and it's hard to look at my four-year-old and know what they're going to do with their life or if that four-year-old decides I'm, I'm going to be an electrician or I want to do something in a trade or or what? It's just, it's, it's, it's too much. We're not sure. We're just not sure. So what, what's an option for us instead? One of my favorite hacks to use, I'm going to stop using that phrase. My wife will get after me when she hears this. So I use that too often. Um, one of my favorite things to, to use instead is a Roth IRA that you may use for college purposes. Okay. This is also a great idea if you are, um, money's tight and you know you need to save for retirement and you would like the option though of using some of those funds um, to help your student in school. Okay, A traditional IRA and retirement accounts are used for retirement purposes. Usually there's an age limitation way up there, age 59 and a half, before you can start to withdraw that money without a penalty. Okay, Roths are like IRAs but the taxes are flipped backwards. If you're not familiar, I'll be very quick, and you can see more about Roth IRAs anywhere all over our websites. We, we do a ton of these things. Roth IRAs are where you use after-tax money now. It grows tax-free, just like a, a retirement, an IRA, standard IRA account. And because you paid taxes on it when you first put the money in, there is no tax due, as long as it's a qualified distribution, ever in retirement no matter how much the money grew to. So Roths are like if you don't need the tax deduction now on your income tax return you and you qualify income wise for a Roth you might be way better off to do a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k if, you're, if your company permits it than to do a traditional okay because in retirement you'll be have a pool of money that'll be tax-free. So the other little the, the, the little not well-known feature of a Roth IRA is that there are several qualified distributions that do not subject you to the 10% additional tax penalty on the growth. Something like first-time home buying is one that the Roth IRA money can come out, even the growth, without the additional penalty. Now, you'll still pay tax on the growth if you're younger than age 59 and a half, but you won't pay the penalty. Uh, one of the other reasons, though, is for, uh, for college education for you or a dependent. So if you either have a limited amount of money where you need to save for retirement and you would like at least the option to help your child with some of the college expenses or you want to save kind of specifically for for college but you're not you want to leave it open to use that money for a, another purpose the Roth IRA may be a good option to use for both, it kills two birds with one stone in that case. Okay, there are some drawbacks to using a Roth IRA, though, that the other accounts have have an advantage. One of which is the amount that can be put in 
to any of these accounts. As I said before, most of these accounts have three hundred and fifty to four hundred thousand dollar maximums. And although there's no maximum amount that a Roth IRA can grow to, the amount per year that goes in is very limited. So until you're the age of fifty, the amount of money that you can put into a Roth IRA, if you and the other thing is you must income qualify for a Roth IRA. If you're above about one hundred and eighty, two hundred thousand as a family, the odds are good you're not going to be able to qualify for a Roth IRA anyway. But if you qualify income-wise, the maximum amount you can put in per year under the age of fifty is fifty-five hundred dollars this year, two thousand sixteen. Um, it's $1,000 more than that over the age of 50. So you have that maximum that you can contribute. Now, that may not be an issue for you because that's, you know, that's, that's uh, if you say I've got $200 a month, well, you won't come close to maxing that out. So that's an okay uh, account still for the, the purpose of, of doing the, the uh, Roth IRA, the 529 account. The other disadvantage to using a Roth IRA as opposed to a 529 plan is that the uh, the uh, Roth IRA is literally individual retirement account. That means that uh, an account it can only be contributed to by the person whose name is on it. It has to come from your income source. You have to have an income source and you have to be the only one putting money in. So as opposed to a 529 which is a b wide open, any family member can help contribute. Grandma and Grandpa can dump a bunch of money into that account for the kid, aunt and uncle, anybody can put money in. On a Roth IRA, only the person whose name is on it, you can use the income generated by that person to put money into the Roth IRA. Okay, So that's the only real drawback. Um, but in terms of using the Roth IRA for the flexibility of an either-or situation, I like those a lot. Now, I'm not going to bore us with a ton of details in the podcast today, but what I do want to tell you is that we will put up a lot of information in our links, so please check on that. And if you'd like more information, th it'll be there. We'll make sure that we get you loaded up with probably too much information to make, help you make informed decisions, including, by the way, we'll give you a list of all the available prepaid tuition and college savings lump sum accounts that are approved in each state. So you'll be able, if you're in Alaska to Wyoming, anywhere in between, you'll be able to look at your state, figure out exactly which uh, plan you qualify for, and you can call those companies directly. Some of the 529 plans are sold by advisors like us. Some you can buy directly from the company that produces those plans. Your choice. You can do it either way. Um, most of the 529s, I will just kind of now spin myself out of talking about that and talk in general terms. Most of them, if you buy them from an advisor, are going to be commission-based uh, programs. Some are fee-based. We don't, we don't have the ability to work in every state with 529s because we are a fee-only firm. We don't, we don't take commissions and we don't use any products with surrender charges. So we, we charge a flat fee per year for service. You can find all that information out on the website. But because of that, we don't and we can't use qu uh, accounts that do not allow for a, a management fee to be deducted and instead is charging you a commission uh, when you buy a product. So that's something to keep in mind too. I don't think for most families you don't need a financial advisor, truthfully, for your 529 account. They're very simple to set up. They're extraordinarily simple to keep invested, and if you choose what are called a target date or an age-based strategy when you choose your investing, that will correct itself for you as the child gets close to 
the age of um, of college when they're going to need the money. So you won't even have to really, although I want you to look at your statements and be involved in your investing, if you were just one of those very irresponsible people that put money away and then never opened a statement again, if you use a target date or an age-appropriate uh, investment strategy, it will wind itself up and get ready for that student to use that money, and you never had to do a thing about it. Okay? Hope you have. If you have any questions, I'd love to see uh, some emails from you. Please give us a call or give us a call at our office. This is 888-852-0702. My email is jtorgerson at investadvisors.com. Love to hear what you think of this subject and many others. Uh, including any topics you would love to hear us uh, opine about on our podcast, and uh, Money in 30 podcast. We will see you in two weeks. Until then, have a great couple of weeks. Enjoy all these political uh, conventions going on. I'm just kidding. Don't enjoy those political <laughs> conventions. It's agony to watch sometimes. But enjoy uh, your couple of weeks, and we'll see you soon, okay? Have a great day. Bye-bye.